Welcome to Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Join us in a sex-positive awakening adventure to help create a sex-positive world. Become part of a movement and start living a sex-positive lifestyle free of sexual shame and guilt. Adult Bedtime Stories is a Raven Slayer production. Adult Bedtime Stories is a show dedicated to bringing sacredness back to our sexuality and to learn about everything sexual. Allow the beautiful sexy creature within you to emerge. Each week the focus of the show will be on a different sexual topic designed to enlighten you so you develop more fully as a sexual being. This is a sex education that you didn't receive in high school but should have. Imagine for a moment that we could change the world and live a sex positive lifestyle. In our sex-negative world, the process of socialization teaches us to feel shame and guilt around sex. By adopting a new set of attitudes and values around sex, we can view sex with a new understanding, which is accompanied with positive emotions and the attitude that sex is a sacred act. I am Lady Boy Chi a sex expert, a life coach, and a sacred harlot. My life vision is to create a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. I am Ladyboy Gigi, and tonight's topic, we're going to be talking about body modification. And there's many t different types of body modification. Everything from foreskin restoration to breast enlargement to penis enlargement, even clitoral enlargement. And then tattooing and scarification and... Oh, let's see. There's just a wide selection of them. <laughs> and I've been working on, well, I've already restored my foreskin. And I did a whole show on foreskin restoration a while back, which was very detailed <laughs> on the process, how-to, and everything. But I got to thinking it might be good to do a show on body modification in general. And it can really be amazing to have that self-empowerment to be able to change our bodies in the ways that we want. And I know that lately I've been working on breast development, enlarging my breasts, because as a hermaphrodite that was put on male hormones, I have breasts that, well, that look rather male. I want to be what I was born to be, a hermaphrodite, a ladyboy. 
And so I've been working on it, and it's a slow process. And I've been working on it maybe five, six, seven months now, I guess. Not so real long. But I'm already starting to show some enlargement in my breast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can tell you, it just feels so good to be able to have control over my body. And there's basically several methods you can use. Oftentimes they'll work together, sometimes, and I find working with them in conjunction really helps. Like when I restored my foreskin, I was, there was a physical component where I was stretching the skin using medical tape. And then there was a mental component where I was using creative visualization and meditation to help the process along. And I find when you combine both, when you can, it really accelerates the progress. <laughs> if you just do the physical, it's not, doesn't occur as fast. But any thoughts? Um, so I don't have any body modifications of my own yet, though there are a few that I, I plan on doing in the future. But I know a lot of people who are heavily into body modification, and they do it for a variety of different reasons. And I, I think that the people that I know have gotten a lot out of body modification, and it's helped them work through hard times. It's helped them to make their body in the image that they want to, not because anyone tells them it should be one way or another, but because that's how they want their body to be. And in some cultures, body modification can be a rite of passage, mm -hmm. especially reaching puberty and making the transition from a child into a, an adult. Mm -hmm. For me, when I did my piercing ritual to reclaim my birthright as a hermaphrodite and have a symbolic hole put back into my genitals, that was a type of rite of passage. It was reclaiming and getting more in touch with who and what I am. Mm -hmm. And by having that symbolic ring put in, it felt like a, it's hard to put into words exactly, but it was an amazing thing because all of a sudden I was wearing a ring, which was a symbol of the circle as a type of symbol of infinity, even though it's not the infinity symbol. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just everything about it just fit so well with it, everything at that time in my life. So it's a very powerful ritual. Body modifications, some of them can be done as part of a ritual. Mm -hmm. And some of them are a little longer, like breast enlargement or enlarging a part of your body that you want to enlarge. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of gay men get into penis enlargement. There are several different methods. A lot do the pumping, mm -hmm. penis pumping. And then there's, I forget how to pronounce it, it's jilking or... Gilking, maybe? Gilking, yeah. It's basically stretching the penis 
and forcing blood up into the penis under pressure to help the cells grow bigger. Mm-hmm. From what I've heard with both um, the, the, the gilking and the, the pumping, you, you do need to do it kind of slowly and, oh, yeah. and not overdo it because you can make it harder to, to get an erection if you go too fast. That and with any type of body modification, you want to understand what you're doing and understand the safety issues. Mm-hmm. You don't want to jump into something and just <laughs> go wild with it. Mm-hmm. But it can be such an empowering thing. I know that adolescent size breasts now, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're starting to emerge and it's just feels so good to I put on a shirt I hadn't worn that's a rather tight shirt the other night. And it was like, wow, I'm really filling out this shirt, <laughs> baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it felt so good to have that mm-hmm. growth, even though it's not real noticeable yet visually. It's certainly noticeable when I wore that tight shirt. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think you've even noticed a difference. Oh, yeah, I I definitely have. Even since you first pointed out your your growth to me the first time, like I had realized that you you had grown your breasts at that point, but now it's it's much more pronounced. Oh, yeah. So I am making progress, and one of the tools I use is self-hypnosis. And that can be a very powerful tool, going into a trance and and visualizing the shape and size, the ideal breast, or if you're doing other body parts, the ideal size and shape you want, and seeing it in your mind's eye. Mm-hmm. Now, when I did my foreskin restoration, mm-hmm. it helped me to get I got some magazines called Uncut Magazine <laughs> and cut out a bunch of different pictures of guys that had never been circumcised mm-hmm. and used that as my kind of uh, dream board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was very inspirational. It, it gave me a barometer, in a sense, mm-hmm. a way to kind of see the progress I wanted to go to. It gave me a goal to reach. And that can be very empowering. I mean, it took me a year and a half to fully restore my foreskin. And now people can't even tell that I was ever circumcised. Mm-hmm. It's like when I get erect, it pops right out. Unfortunately, with foreskin restoration, I couldn't reduce the circumference mm-hmm. of the tip of the foreskin. So it's pop, the head of the penis pops out pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But I did go and get it pierced on both sides mm-hmm. where I could kind of shrink it down wearing a jewelry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and piercing is even a type of body modification. Oh, yeah, definitely. And there's many areas of the body that can be pierced and mm-hmm. can have very symbolic meanings for us. Mm-hmm. What are some of the body modifications you're interested in, Paul? 
So there's uh, several. Um, you and I have talked about eventually having me restore my foreskin, mm-hmm. which I I I really look forward to because it's it's really sad that in this country they do surgeries on most most boys to that's take, getting less now it's not as routinely done as it used that, to be that is true um but like still a very high percentage and the, the fact that they're doing surgeries on unnecessary surgeries on people against their will uh when they're too young to consent i i think is terrible and i actually when i was circumcised the the doctor cut a little too much off and it gave me issues for a very long time and it it's something that i w- was some somewhat shameful about so the mm-hmm. idea of reclaiming it is very exciting to me yeah um, i also there's a tattoo that i've wanted since i was 14 because it really sums up like my spirituality very well and that's the simple words i love you tattooed on my chest because i i really do love everyone and i actively love everyone i i make it a point to to work with that in myself and i think having a tattoo that expressed how i feel to the world would feel very good to me um mm-hmm. so that, is there a particular symbolism of having it on your chest or um because a it's very visible when i'm not wearing a shirt and b because it's right right there next to my heart and i can you know feel it with my heart and send it out outwards into the world and it's kind of just the area i've always pictured it being yeah ah okay any other body modifications you're interested in (laughs) yeah there's um so through working with you i I found out that needle play is one of my favorites so Ah. eventually (laughs) i do want to get into to piercings i i know that i would like genital piercings at some point and i also really like the idea of some of the facial piercings i want to get my ears pierced because there's so many pretty earrings in the world and i can't wear them and it's sad ah yeah (laughs) i need to re-pierce my ears i've had them pierced for a long time then when i'm got slightly it wasn't infected, but it got, when I was putting an earring in, it kind of opened it up. Uh. And over time, it just kind of got funky. Yeah. <laughs> so I need to re-pierce them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I probably will have to re-pierce my nipples because I haven't worn rings in about a year now. Yeah. They may still go in. I don't know. I haven't even tried lately. <laughs> <laughs> But that was empowering to have my nipples pierced. And for me, it was just kind of this, I did it more because I heard that it made your nipples more sensitive. And I already loved playing with my nipples. And 
after the piercing, it was like, oh, wow, that is amazing. And having other people play with your nipples. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think also when you, for a lot of guys, when they get the head of their pier cock pierced, mm -hmm. it does increase sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And for guys that have lost sensitivity due to circumcision or other Medication. Yeah, medication, any n number of other factors. Mm -hmm. Piercing can increase sensation. Mm -hmm. You said the same thing about foreskin, foreskin restoration. Oh, yeah, restoring the foreskin, keeping it, I mean, the gland of the penis, the head, is a gland. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be a moist membrane. Mm -hmm. And when you remove the foreskin, it dries out and it rubs against clothing and you get these extra layers of skin to protect it and the nerve endings recede. Mm -hmm. But by restoring the foreskin, it became a moist membrane. It wasn't rubbing against clothes anymore. And so I shed all these layers of skin off the head of, off the gland mm -hmm. and the nerve endings came up closer to the surface. Mm -hmm. And so I could, and I think because of some of the surgeries they did on me as an infant, mm -hmm. I have a little less feeling down there. I think there was some nerve damage done during the surgeries. And by restoring the foreskin, it helped me feel a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I regained a lot of sensitivity. And so sometimes body mo modification can have some really amazing benefits. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think the other benefit that has come to me over and over again with different, not only body modification, but just living a more sex-positive lifestyle is this concept of naming and reclaiming. Yeah. It's like something was done to me or something was against my wishes and by reclaim naming it and reclaiming it mm -hmm. because we don't often talk about foreskins in our culture yeah <laughs> and by reclaiming it and naming it i became empowered mm -hmm. at a much deeper level than just the physical and it's a little hard to put into words. And once I finished restoring it, it just felt so empowering to walk around naked at pagan festivals and, and clothing optional events mm -hmm. and have this kind of sense of restoring the male mystery. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I'm not just all out there. There's a, now a hidden part of me. Yeah. And the foreskin, and this is how I felt about it, it kind of restored that mysterious part of the male member. Mm. <laughs> and we talked a lot at pagan gatherings about the feminine mysteries and mm -hmm. how females are so mysterious. And, mm -hmm. and in a way, by restoring my foreskin, I reclaimed the male mysteries in mm -hmm. myself. That was very empowering. <laughs> and it also felt good when I uh, could be with a lover and things would get going a little bit and all of a sudden I'd pull back the foreskin and reveal the 
hidden mm. parts inside and mm. and it's just it may sound kind of simple but it was very profound at a certain level oh yeah and that's one of the things about body mo modification is it it means what it means to you mm -hmm. it's one of the things about body modification it's so personal people get tattoos and scarification and piercings and mm -hmm. you know and i'd like to talk about one of the really empowering parts for women that are i know a lot of trans female to males and one of the things that comes up for them is there's not really a good surgery to have a cock again yeah i mean they can have an artificial one made but those a lot of men that go through this process don't want to go through that. It's very invasive surgery, and yeah, it doesn't really function as well as as the real thing. And so, one of the other techniques that can be used is start working on clitoral enlargement. You can enlarge the clitoris up to about but makes a nice small penis, mm -hmm. <laughs> you can enlarge it to three to four inches long, which makes a nice size. And I've known in, through Aphrodite's temple and through some of the correspondence I get through email that there's a lot of female to males that are experiencing this kind of gender dysphoria of, oh, I want a penis. And... Then I mentioned, well, have you ever looked into clitoral enlargement? This could be a possible solution for you that's not so invasive. In fact, it's totally non-invasive to the body. You're just slowly stretching it over time and doing the creative visualizations and possibly some self-hypnosis and as well as the pumping. Yeah. And and also when transgendered men get on uh, on hormones, that that automatically does enlarge the clitoris. Oh yeah, totally. But it, I mean, mm -hmm. not to the degree that yeah that you're the body about. modification yeah. will do. <laughs> Just like when males to female get on hormones, their breasts will grow a little bit, but usually they'll like to go and get breast implants mm -hmm. to give them the really full. Mm -hmm. But often I think it may be partly that they're not combining the spiritual with the physical. Mm -hmm. I can tell you from my experience, when you start using trance and self-hypnosis and and creative visualization, the mind is very powerful. And by giving hypnotic suggestions, you can oftentimes obtain results you w wouldn't even think possible. I know I have. I mean, while it took me a year and a half to restore my foreskin, it went pretty well. And it, w it was about... I would say three quarters restored in six months. Yeah. And it was a slow stretching the rest of the way that took so long. Yeah. And I owe a lot of that just due to the 
creative visualizations, my dream board, having the visual image and putting my mind at work on it. Mm -hmm. And I remember you telling me that you knew other other men that were doing forced skin restoration that didn't have near the same results that you did. Yeah. And I remember during my piercing ritual, when you pierce the head of a cock, usually there's a lot of blood. But I did it during a trance, while in trance, as part of a pagan ritual. And I was just in this headspace that was very conducive to my body receiving this. And I only had one drop of blood come out. And that's pretty phenomenal, especially with the 14 gauge needle. I mean, I I know I've had I've had needles through my cock, and they bled a lot. Yeah, and that was uh, <laughs> I think the small biggest gauge we used was 18 gauge. Probably, yeah. And 14 gauge is pretty huge <laughs> when it comes to the head of the cock. But only one drop of blood came out, mm-hmm. and then. The piercing was completely healed within about a month and a half. And usually it takes about six to eight months to fully heal from that type of piercing. So there is a power to our minds. Oh, yeah, for sure. We can really do a lot more than... And even science is proving that the mind is fully in control of our bodily functions. Oh, yeah. I mean, it may not be the conscious mind, but the mind regulates our heartbeat, it regulates the growth of our bodies. It does a lot that we're not even aware of. When we can influence it through hypnosis, amazing results can be obtained. (laughs) And who knows, maybe with just the right hypnotic work and pumping, a woman becoming a man can stretch the clitoris to a full penis size over time. It may take a year or two, but I think with all the elements pulled together, because I don't know of anybody yet that's tried the both hand in hand. I've known people that tried just the hypnotic and trance work, and that's pretty rare. And then I've known quite a few that do the pumping mm-hmm. alone. But the pumping alone is a slow process. And it will definitely speed up, if nothing else, with the creative visualizations and self-hypnosis and just working with your body, mind, and spirit yeah. all together. Well, we're coming up on our midpoint (laughs) and I'd like to remind people that we do have a page on Patreon it's patreon.com forward slash ladyboygigi and if you gain benefit from listening to our show I do hope you will elect to help support us even if it's at a dollar a month that would go a long ways, especially if we get a few hundred people supporting me <laughs> at a dollar a month. <laughs> and it does get kind of expensive. I have to pay out-of-pocket expenses for the podcast service that 
uh, upload and download shows to, and I have to pay for production costs and equipment costs. So it would be a big help to have a little bit come in. And so far, I've been doing this show totally out of pocket. I've had no support, outside support. But I love doing this show. I do it anyway because it's part of my vision to create a more sex-positive world, a world where people are empowered, not disempowered, especially around sexuality. Another thing that you can do to both support this show and support us and also to enrich your lives is go visit ravenslayerleather.com on on the site we have a whole bunch of different training videos and things that you can get similar content to what you find here but it's a lot more in depth and there are all sorts of worksheets and audio files, meditations, all sorts of things that can help you to have a more fulfilling, more knowledgeable sex life. Mm -hmm. And most of the most of the training programs there are $10 a piece. There's even a few free ones. And also we love to hear from you. Uh, you can either message us on iTunes or you, you could uh, email Gigi at admin at ravenslayerleather.com. Yeah. Hey, you're getting it down. <laughs> mm -hmm. One of these days I'll be able to say it's the words. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've had that site for so many years. It's now... Second, second nature, nature to me <laughs> mm -hmm. but but yeah i love doing this work i love and back when i was on kpft part of what really inspired me so much was the number of people that really got a lot out of the show in fact at the last pagan festival one of the guys in rainbow camp divulged to me that he used to listen to me as a teenager on After Hours. And it was because of that, my voice in the night, talking about sexuality and bisexuality and all the things about the gay community and the whole gamut of human sexual expression that he was able to get a clear path to live his life sexually free. <laughs> and be more sexually expressive. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Uh, and you, uh, I know that uh, it's hard for people to kind of open up about this stuff, but I know one of the things we've talked about in the past is how nice it would be if we were able to form a community around us where we had discussions going on and things like that and that's something that and i am considering putting together a membership site mm -hmm. around sex positive living yeah and create an environment that's safe for us to talk about anything sexual mm -hmm. that we want to bring up because 
I don't see any topic in sexuality is inherently bad. Mm-hmm. In fact, most topics I consider more on the sacred side. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that you can do either through email or through sending us a comment on iTunes is suggest future topics that you would like to hear about. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got a a brainstorm before I even started this show. Probably several hundred different topics that we could cover. And when I kind of get lost in day-to-day life and I think, well, well, what do I want to do the next podcast on? I just pull up that list and go down it and go, okay, we'll try this one. (laughs) So it's kind of good process to kind of explore different topics that most people wouldn't ever dream of talking about. And who knows, maybe you have some burning topic that you think, oh, nobody would want to hear about this. You might be surprised. Yeah. There might be a whole lot of people out there that have been just too ashamed or too fearful to ask about. And by stepping up and asking, it may open a whole new door for a lot of people out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many people have shame wrapped around anything related to sex and especially related to kink or paraphilias that most people find either confusing or downright objectionable. And I th- I think to bring us back to our, our topic today, that's one of the things that body modification can help with because I feel like when you do something to your body, maybe not everyone will know what it means, but you will know what it means. Oh, yeah. And I think it, I'd like to get back to that sense of rite of passage. Mm-hmm. Often in rites of pa- passage, we do a marking or a symbol that's semi or even permanent to bear witness to that fact. And so for me, just when I'm naked and my cock is in its placid state and it's covered with my foreskin, it it reminds me of where I've come from and how much power I have to be able to change my body and reclaim something that was really stolen from me. I do want to tell a story about this. I went actually went to a gay doctor and told him, you know, this was when I was first looking into foreskin restoration, and I'd studied a lot on it, and I said, even took the book I had and said, there's a little surgery that can be done after I've restored it. It's clipping a little bit to reduce the circumference. Would you know of anybody, or would you be willing to do that procedure for me? And he turned and looked at me and he said, that's just unnatural. (laughs) And I said, I turned and looked at him and said, so is circumcision. I'm trying to restore something that is natural that doctors took away from me. Yeah. And I mean, as humans, we do all sorts of unnatural things. It is not, quote-unquote, natural to 
build a house and live indoors. It is not natural to use electricity. It's not natural to drive a car, but we do those things. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to say that restoring the foreskin to me was one of the more natural acts. It gave me re-empowerment of my own cock. I could feel more through it. And what can be more natural than having feeling and enjoying sex and pleasure at a deeper level? That's what my body was designed for in the first place. (laughs) That's natural to have a, a glands remain a moist membrane. It's unnatural to dry it out and have it rubbing against your clothing all the time. But anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> <I> just <laughs> Oh, you don't have to. But I, I, I... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. So I, I'd kind of like to go back to the thing that you were saying about rites of passage. I think in American culture, like one of the big body modifications that people use as a rite of pa- passage is tattooing. Like a lot of the friends that I've had... When they got out of their parents' house, they got a tattoo. When they went to the military, they got a tattoo. When they got out of the military, they got a tattoo. After they got out of a really, really bad relationship, they they got a tattoo. When they got married, they got a a matching tattoo with their their husband or wife. You Mm -hmm. know, there's all sorts of rites of passage that people do through getting tattooed that it symbolizes something to that person and it's a reminder forever of either a good time or or a really dark time that they overcame i think one of the most powerful forms of this is some of our listeners might be familiar with the semicolon tattoo that a lot of people have. It's normally put on either self-harm scars or scars from attempted suicide. And in English literature, the semicolon is a punctuation that denotes a time that a sentence could end, but you're not ending the sentence. You're continuing the sentence with another idea. And for that reason, it's a very strong symbol of for for people who have been suicidal and who have attempted suicide to remind themselves that the sentence of their life could have ended, but it didn't. And it's also a reminder that, hey, I overcame this. Yeah. I was stronger than this thing. And it's a way to symbolize a living mark that hey, I am more powerful than I was back then. Yeah, and it's it's a way to, because for a lot of people, when they look at their scars, it's, it's really painful and it, it, it makes them hurt. But when they see the semicolon as a an intentional decision that they made to put on their body, that's an empowering thing. Mm-hmm. And when those people are having hard times again and it's not uncommon for people who go through uh, suicidal ideation or who have attempted suicide to continue to to have those 
hard feelings from f time to time. So when you're feeling that feeling, you can just look down at your tattoo and remember that those are ghosts of the past. It doesn't have to rule you anymore. Yeah. And one of the tattoos I've been thinking about getting, I've been thinking about this for a long time, you know my leather fairy drawing. <laughs> I have this kind of androgynous fairy. It's got nice perky breasts with a leather top revealing those breasts and then nude from the waist down. And she's got this raging heart on and beautiful wings. And I've often thought of getting a small tattoo right uh, above my pelvic bone, right around my pelvis. Because uh, the uh, leather fairy is one of my alter egos. <laughs> it's a part of me now. I am Faye. I am very mischievous at times, especially when it comes to sex. <laughs> and sometimes I can be so sadistic and playful too at other times a bit puckish uh, and get into the whole kind of teasing and raising that energy and then denying it and then bringing it back up again and until I bring someone to states of ecstasy they never dreamed were possible and I think that comes from a leather fairy nature mm. <laughs> and so in part, body modification could be just making a statement about a part of yourself and can be a very powerful part of that claiming and reclaiming, especially since an androgynous leather fairy is a rather taboo thing in our culture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I like doing breaking those weird taboos and saying, yes, I am... Here, I am amazing, just as I am, with all my sexiness and perversions and interesting kinky sex. It's so good and delicious. Mm -hmm. So I, I just had a thought, and that's, I, I think a lot of people are afraid of body mo modification for various different reasons, but it just dawned on me that there are all sorts of forms of body modification that no one thinks twice about. Cutting your hair is a form of body modification. You know, putting on makeup is a temporary form of body modification. And, and we haven't even talked about temporary body modifications. Yeah. Uh, there can be temporary piercings. There mm -hmm. can be temporary scarifications. Henna. There can be using henna either in the hair or on the skin. Mm -hmm. And you can do a temporary tattoo with him, henna mm -hmm. <laughs> if you wanted to try it out before you do the real thing. Well, I won't say real thing, but before you do the more permanent thing, getting a real tattoo, do a henna tattoo. And you can do it in a place nobody sees <laughs> if you want to. And try it out. And see how it feels to mm -hmm. take power over your own body and mark it temporarily in a way that has meaning for you and 
maybe even marks a major transition in your life. Doing this show for as long as I have, I know that shifting from a sex-negative consciousness to a sex-positive consciousness is a major transition. Yeah. And it can be a very scary one for a lot of us. I know it was scary when I made mine <laughs> at first, but I embraced it. I faced the fears. And I realized that by facing the fears and exploring new horizons in sexuality, I'm so glad I did because looking back, I would have never experienced some of the heightened levels of ecstasy, of sexual ecstasy that I've experienced. I know that for me, I've always been curious sexually. And by exploring that more freely without shame and guilt, because when I first started on my path, I had a lot from coming from a religious, family, religious family. My father was a minister. There's a bit of shame and guilt at first. And I had to overcome that and realize, okay, let's look at the facts. Let's process this stuff at a deeper level and come to terms. And so it was a major transition shifting from a sex-negative attitude to a very sex-positive lifestyle. And also, on that note, one thing that I think is important to keep in mind is when you talk about transitioning from a sex-negative perspective to a sex-positive perspective, it's also not a thing that happens all at once. Oh, no. It's a process. And it's a process that I went through for... I mean, there's times when I made giant leaps through it, and then other times where it took some time, depending on what all I had to face. It's not just facing one thing. Yeah. I had to face my taboos around masturbation. I had to t face my taboos around anal sex, around oral sex. And this is coming from being taken to the bishop and having him perform exorcism on me yeah. for being such a bad, mm -hmm. dirty boy. <laughs> I don't know all the reasons why they did that. They didn't go into it, but I know that was part of it, that I was often caught playing with myself. And, <laughs> and I think they just, and also I was too effeminate mm -hmm. for a male in a Christian family. Mm -hmm. And so I think a whole lot went into that that I had to overcome and face and say, okay, I'm not going to hold back. Mm -hmm. Life's too short. I want to mm -hmm. have stories to tell in the yeah. boys' locker room when you get <laughs> older. <laughs> Plus, I, I think for a lot of people, there is also a transition between feeling comfortable about your sexuality and your sexual body and being sex positive when you are amongst like-minded people. And then there's a whole different time when you start feeling comfortable with all of that within yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it too, it's, I remember the first time I had sex with a girlfriend on a swing set. 
and it's like three in the morning. The park was deserted, and I was wearing shorts, and she was wearing a very short skirt. And after we were done, I thought, "Ooh, what if someone had seen us?" You know, all those fears kind of started rolling in, and I thought, "Ooh, we could have been arrested or any number of things." And then I realized, no, we we're nothing was showing. <laughs> Looked like she was sitting in my lap and we were swinging, except we were just making a lot more uh, amazing sounds. <laughs> <laughs> but that could have been mistaken from just those tingly feelings you get from swinging anyway. But combining that with intercourse, oh, wow. <laughs> it took me place to new heights. And it was letting that inner child come out. And I think that's part of this, is that our inner child is so wounded from living in a sex-negative culture. And I think that part of what's helped me heal through the process is having these and being able to do certain body modifications in parts of my life that I saw as milestones to living a more sex-positive life. And seeing sex as a sacred act, not as a sinful act. Those were moments I wanted to really make a part of my being, part of my physical mm -hmm. being at least. <laughs> yeah, and I think a very important part of ritual is symbolism and symbols. And I think that body mo modification is a symbol that you make that you you actually bring into reality you make you you mark it on your body and it's a physical symbol of whatever it is that you're feeling in that moment yeah it can also have another benefit i just thought of cuz i haven't used it in a long time but because i got a reverse Prince Albert piercing in my cock, I found where I could get some vibrating barbells. And I put that in in place of the ring I usually wear. And I turn it on, and when I penetrate another person, my cock becomes a living vibrator. It's a whole different kind of experience. And from the lovers I've worn it with, they told me, I mean, I want one of those. <laughs> mm -hmm. But on a real, you know, real vibrator is a little more stiff and rigid. When you can have a living vibrator, that just, they, they all said, oh, that's hitting the right spots in the right ways. And it's just a whole nother amazing experience. And I wouldn't have had that unless I'd completed that body modification ritual. And that was an afterthought that came yeah. years after I'd done the piercing. I just stumbled across it actually at a pagan festival. Someone was selling vibrating barbells. <laughs> oh, that's really awesome. And I said, ooh, I've got to try that. Now, they were selling them for use in the tongue, but I said, that'll fit right into my cock. <laughs> Turn my cock into a living vibrator. <laughs> so sometimes you get uh, added additional benefits even years after you do the 
body modification. And I know that all the partners that I've played with with that toy, it, they've all just come back and said, wow, that is so amazing. <laughs> oh, that's really awesome. And so some body modifications can have hidden benefits down the road. <laughs> but I think we're coming to near the end of the show. Any other thoughts on body modification, Paul? Um, one one um, last thing that I wanted to bring up, uh, especially as uh, body mo modification relates to sex and sensuality, is a lot of people wind up getting especially tattoos in areas that most people won't see other than the people that they are intimate with. And I think that for a lot of people that makes them feel really sexy and it's kind of like this uh, like hidden secret thing that they have. Well, it also draws on those masculine and feminine mysteries mm -hmm. to reveal yeah. something new and different to a partner can be it brings out a certain mystery in our nature and can make us seem and make us feel like, wow, I've got this hidden, private, secret part of myself that I only reveal to people I'm intimate with. Mm -hmm. And it's a gift we can give to those we're intimate with. But didn't mean to interrupt. No, I, 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 I was pretty pretty much done with my point. Oh, okay. Well, we got a question. So this question comes from one of our listeners. It says, good morning. Yet another wonderful podcast. Thank you. I was looking through the list of my notes on your podcast, and I was wondering, have you noted a correlation of people that are dyslexic and people that have extra verbose sexual desires? Just wondering. Also, same question, but with gender issues. Thank you for your wonderful work. You have expanded my mind to no end. Ah, <laughs> and I thank you for sending in this question and for your comments, too. We kind of looked that up, and, you know, even before I looked it up, I kind of had doubts if there was much research in this, mm -hmm. either of these areas. Yeah. Now, I do know that being ADHD, I have had psychiatrists and even psych some psychologists that were kink-friendly come up and tell me, yeah, BDSM can be excellent for the ADHD brain because especially as a submissive, you're releasing all kinds of endorphins and dopamines, dopamines and chemicals that are good for the ADHD brain. And I realized, even before he told me that, that I'd do a very heavy, intense BDSM play scene as a submissive. And for the next few days, it was like I was fo more focused. I was more relaxed. I was, my mind wasn't racing. I was just... It felt so good. <laughs> and so I, th I do think that for ADHD, 
and BDSM, they definitely go together well. And I think a lot of, I kind of stumbled into it and discovered how good it felt. And, and I think quite a few with ADHD make that connection and realization. Now, did being ADHD draw me into BDSM? No. Did, but I did find the benefits of BDSM. In a way, it's not really a correlation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't predisposed to it, but mm-hmm. I did find great benefit in it. One of the important things to note is that many people who have dyslexia also have ADHD or ADD mm-hmm. and vice versa, which yeah. is why it, it, it's kind of related. It is, and but there are a lot of people that are just dyslexic. And or just ADHD or just ADD. So it's something that just because you're one you're, doesn't necessarily mean you're all three. Yeah. Um, so when I was doing research into this, I didn't find much talking about dyslexia and sex drive. I have a, like I, I definitely have people that I know that have a very high sex drive and also have dyslexia, but it's it's hard to form any strong facts off of that. But um, when I was researching about gender issues and dyslexia, I was looking up a number of scholarly articles and things of that nature, and while none of them dealt specifically with dyslexia and uh, gender diversity, a number of the ones about gender diversity did include a, a lot of different subjects of the article that happened to have dyslexia. So there might be a correlation there, but there again, it's it's hard to to really concretely say that there is. Well, it says to me that a lot more research needs to be done oh. in this area. <laughs> oh, I, I definitely think that more ne- research needs to be done in this area in general. Now, I have noticed that, and I think it's partly because with dyslexia, we tend to think outside the box a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think we are attracted to some of the more diverse forms of sexual expression. Mm-hmm. And I think also with transgender, already transgender is thinking outside the box a little bit. So I think that too kind of lends to opening that doorway, so Mm -hmm. to speak. I definitely agree. Also, especially in places like Houston where we live, I think that a lot of times the, the people that are considered odd or weird have to like kind of hang out together so i i think that there's just more chances that people that are gender diverse wind up spending time with people in the kink scene and people in various different sexual scenes and through association with those people they they tend to when they do have an interest in that thing they tend to find it whereas some people who might have an interest in the various different forms of sexuality may never discover it because they're never put in a situation 
where they're around it. Yeah. And on that note, I remember in my past, and I was one of the early ones diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia, and I was somewhat ostracized. Mm -hmm. And it was when I found the kink communities and the pagan community and some of the art communities, I found a whole world of people mm -hmm. that accepted me as I mm -hmm. was. You found a home. I found a home. Mm -hmm. And I think that may be part of the process. For It's not as big a stigmatization as it was when I was going through the school system. Mm -hmm. But it's still kind of, when you get those labels, it does kind of ostracize you yeah. to a certain degree. Yeah, definitely. And I think especially children pick up on differences very easily. So when you have something that makes you different from the other children, it is it is likely that you will find yourself kind of the odd man out some of the times until you find mm -hmm. a home. And the other thing, and I've noticed this in my life, and it's very common with people with ADHD and dyslexia, I uh, rarely had peers in my own age group. Mm -hmm. They're either much older or much younger. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's very common because by having peers either much older or much younger, my differences didn't stand out as much. That happens over and over again. So I think, and that has been researched a bit, quite a bit, mm -hmm. and they have found that there is a strong correlation that with being dyslexic and ADHD that you do tend to choose peers either younger or older and sometimes both now I had both <laughs> I I also had the the same experience and I also um have ADD so like I I definitely know what you're talking about yeah and part of it is that as a kid I wanted to fit in so bad mm -hmm. and by the end of high school, well, junior high especially was a nightmare. I had no friends. <laughs> Nobody would have anything to do with me, hardly. Yeah. And it was a very hard time in my life. Mm -hmm. It was when I got suicidal and depressed. And But it was a situational depression. Yeah. And fortunately, even in all the testing they did, they found that I'm very resilient. Mm -hmm. I bounce back from the hard times quite easily once the bad pressure's off me. They have researched that, and people with ADHD and dyslexia do tend to be more highly resilient. They bounce back quicker from trauma and from bad events happening. I think that's a part of gift that we have, the plus side of it. Yeah. But so many things could be said and that have been researched with ADHD. It wouldn't surprise me if there wasn't a correlation between some of these things, but much more research needs to be done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I have noticed in the gay community mm -hmm. that there is a higher incidence of dyslexia than the normal population, mm -hmm. but that's just from observation, not from any clinical yeah. 
or statistical research. It's just, I've noticed the mm -hmm. incidence is much higher. <laughs> now, I don't know if it's just by chance. I knew a lot of other dyslexic and ADHD gay guys, but <laughs> I did notice it was quite a few in the circles I ran with. So it's kind of interesting because you don't want to try to draw conclusions on information that isn't there. Yeah. I mean, it could just be coincidence or it could be just from socialization processes, yeah. not because you're dyslexic and this happens. I'm talking more about cause and effect here. Yeah, uh, 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 correlation versus causation, which is something that people get confused all the time. But anyway, I think that brings us to our last point in the show. <laughs> Do check out our website, RaymondSlayerLeather.com. Check out our training videos. We do have a few free ones, and I'll probably be putting out some more free ones soon. And then we have some paid ones that are really excellent. And be sure to just check it out. And if you see something that really inspires you, make a purchase. The purchases help the show, too. <laughs> I'm not just asking for freebie handouts donations, I would very much like to make some sales of some of the videos. That would help the show, too. So we've covered the question. Anything else you wanted to add to the question that you asked? Um, I think that our, our conclusion was pretty much right, is that it's just something that needs to be researched. And unfortunately, a, a lot of important research like this deals with subjects that people find taboo and and unfortunately it's not something that anyone can profit off of so there's and not a lot of I'm glad you brought that up because I was reading an article the other day mm -hmm. about research and how a few pioneers were doing some research on BDSM and they were kind of ostracized from the scientific community because they found the positive side. And they were supposed to find it to be bad and negative. <laughs> and so sometimes taboo can even contaminate pure research. Oh, yeah. Even though they were had blinds and double blinds doing this testing, and they weren't even expecting a positive outcome. It was kind of renounced by the scientific community just based on bias and that, oh, BDSM can't be a good thing. <laughs> so there is personal bias that gets in the way of pure research sometimes. Always take research with a bit of a grain of salt. Just because it's been researched doesn't necessarily mean it's not without certain biases. In fact, I, New York Times a few years ago ran an article showing a study that proved bisexuality didn't exist. And the research was totally flawed. <laughs> it 
when you looked into the mythology and some uh, ways they went set up the experiments. Yeah, uh, one one important thing for research is to take a look and see who funded the study, because a lot of times that can tell you what kind of bias they were expecting from the study. Mm-hmm. And not all research is influenced by bias, but especially when you get into sexuality and and some of the darker forms of sexuality, often bias will creep in. So be careful of sexual research. <laughs> <laughs> Take it with a grain of salt and really dig deep to see, is this really a... Uh, study that's been done with good controls, with good methodology, with good backing, without being influenced, did they use blinds and double blinds? Which is not to say don't do the research. Just be aware as you're doing your research. Well, I'm talking about just looking at research. Take it with a grain of salt. Oh, yeah. Check it out thoroughly. Just because... You see a research project that says bisexuality doesn't exist doesn't mean that's true. (laughs) Dig a little deeper because some of the research out there is utterly false. I mean, John Money was a great example of that. He proved that a boy could be turned into a girl and nurtured as a girl and live happily ever after as a girl, and the research was totally flawed. And that happened because of a botched circumcision. They were using an electrical method. Oh, yeah. And it just fried his entire penis off. And so they turned him into a girl. And then John Money came in and started studying it and doing research on it and said, oh, this has been such a success. We've got this beautiful little girl. And the reason it was so important was because the person that had the botched circumcision had an identical twin brother. Mm. And with identical twins, that gave them a good... Control. Control. Mm. And it turned out all through the thing, and I think they nicknamed her Joan. I forget for sure, but I think it was Joan. She always rejected the feminization process and hated having the surgeries done and and became even suicidal and extremely dysphoric. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. And But to this day, it's beginning to come out that John Money had flawed research, but mm-hmm. for a long time it was accepted as proof. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that says a lot about, you know, we know our gender. We know who and what we are deep inside. Oh, yeah. No matter what the circumstances. And I knew I wasn't a male or a female at a very young age. I knew I was something different. I didn't know what. Didn't have the words back then. But I knew. So I do want to say, be careful with research. It's not always ironclad. Look at the methodology. Look at how the research was conducted and are there biases in the research? 
don't just take it because it's scientific research. <laughs> question it. Just as I always question my mind talk. <laughs> Is it true? Is this really right? <laughs> and explore it and find out. And you'll come to the terms that, with it that you need to come to that is right for you. And on that note, have a wonderful night. Enjoy those nocturnal emissions. Good night. I find it interesting that adults in our culture are not provided with informative sexual education. Even married couples don't have access to an adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. I would like to invite you to join me in developing a sex-positive lifestyle with freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions you have for future show topics. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss any episodes. This concludes this edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Sex is the final frontier. So explore everything sexual. <laughs>